The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning to you listeners. I'm very happy today to introduce you to my guest, Chris Borba. Hi, Chris. Hi, Francie. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this is fun. Chris has worn a few hats. He's former paratrooper with the 82nd Airborne. He served in both Kosovo and Afghanistan. He's also a former police officer and detective. He's a background investigator for a federal government agency. He has a Bachelor of Science. And now he's pursuing a Master of Arts in security management. So, Chris, how did you become a private investigator? Well, <laughs> well after I left the police department, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do because, I, like I said, I moved from my wife's job. I didn't know if I wanted to go back into law enforcement. Uh, so having my own business has always been, I think it's a kind of a dream for a lot of people out there. And uh, it took a few years and decided that uh, I, you know, I wanted to go ahead and go forward with it and got my license and started up my own business. And so are you licensed in Virginia? Yes. And what is the uh, requirements for licensure there? There is a 60-hour course. I just go through the go through the class and then submit your paperwork. And, of course, they do the background investigations on you and you can get your license that way. Um, I had a little bit of a waiver because of my law enforcement experience. Mm-hmm. So I had to do about, I think it was 20, 15 or 20 hours uh, worth of classroom work. And then if you start your own business, you have to have uh, either five years in law enforcement or five years in a management position in investigations or security to get that uh, business license for that. And did you qualify for that? Yes, I did. Oh, that's great. And uh, in California, we have to work 6,000 hours. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, under, under a private agency or for law enforcement in investigation. It can't be, you can't be safe for instance in the jail and qualify so yeah yeah, and uh, or if you're in law enforcement that that uh, requirements were waived if your supervisor signs off on the 6,000 hours so Mm -hmm. yeah it's a little bit different all across the country right so um, your bio says you're a compliance agent what does that mean Oh, that is also a requirement I did not mention. It's a, it was a short class I had to take. What well, was about a, I guess, an eight-hour class, and I ended up doing mine online. And it's just to make sure that uh, every business, every security business or invest, private investigation business has to have a compliance agent listed, and they make sure that you are in compliance with all their rules and regulations. Like what kind of rules and regulations? Um, it could 
be you're making sure that everybody's licensed. Um, think of some of the other stuff. I mean, we have to list our our business number that's assigned to us by the department, the Virginia Department of Criminal Justice. They um, assign us a number. We have to list out all of our marketing material. So there's just all that. Interesting. Make sure we're keeping up with our licensing. So when it comes time for me to renew, if I had a bigger agency, it would be on the compliance agent to make sure that the business is keeping up with all that and they have insurance as well. Right. So do you have to do an audit or anything like that, or are you dependent on people telling you they've done it? Uh, so far, I mean, I've, like I said, I started my business last May, so I haven't had an audit done. I've heard they do do them, but I haven't. And then uh, I don't you know, do an audit on myself, but that would just, you know, keeping up with everything and making sure you know when the dates are coming. So, so you, you've been in business less than a Hello. Yes. You there? How, yes. How's the business going? Uh, I'm hanging in there. It's been a, it's been a challenge learning how to run a business. So, doing a lot of. Of course, I know how to do the investigation part. I didn't expect so much to learn from the business side of things. And I've been out doing sales meetings. And tonight, I'm going to, to a local chamber event and going and shaking hands and doing all that stuff, which I never really thought about before, but. It's been going okay, so I don't, okay. I don't have any complaints, and it's slowly yeah. growing. So. Well, who started a business knows that it's uh, one step in front of the other, and uh, <laughs> it takes a while to get your feet on the ground. So um, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> and now you're also a member of the Criminal Defense Investigation Training Council. What's that? Uh, that is down in Florida with... Uh, um, with Brandon Perone? Yes. And okay. uh, I signed up for that, and I took one of their... Their classes on the uh, uh, component method for the right. criminal defense investigations. Yeah, when I first right. started my business, I wanted to get in another look, another uh, perspective on things coming from a criminal investigator background. So I took that class and signed up, and the training was great. I really, really liked it, and his book yeah. as well. So yeah, Brandon provides great training. And so, did you find a lot of differences between uh, police investigation and and uh, private investigation? Uh, I wouldn't say a lot of differences, but uh, you know, as far as we're going talking about criminal defense investigations, you know, what I learned in that class was more of a investigating the police investigation and trying to develop more uh, witnesses. You know, there's a whole process to follow, so it was it was a little bit different, but it was very similar. And how did you feel about that? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I mean, it was... <laughs> You're still <laughs> trying to figure it out, huh? <laughs> yeah. An investigation yeah. is, uh, I think, overall, it's, you're still following the same steps, yeah. the same investigative process, so... Exactly. You're just, you're just finding the facts. Right, right. Yeah. And I really, I really enjoy that and enjoy the challenge of it, so... Okay. So, Chris, you wrote an op-ed for Pursuit Magazine. It's a private investigation magazine. Uh, for those of you that are not familiar with it, it was entitled Street Education getting the truth that sparked, and uh, getting, getting the truth. And that is actually what sparked this show today. So um, you had a lot of experiences on the street that I thought were really interesting about how you, um, even when you make a traffic stop, let's start with that. Okay, yeah. Make absolutely. a traffic stop and how you, 
uh, know that somebody isn't telling you the truth. Because I thought it was really interesting uh, when you said that uh, people really lie to the police all the time, even about things that don't even matter. Oh, uh, yeah, they lie about everything. <laughs> it's <laughs> At least to great. the cops. I don't know. <laughs> so. Why do you think that is? You think it's the challenge? Uh, I, you know, I, I really don't know. They just uh, they they think they're in in trouble and they want to get out of it. So, I've even had people lie about their name, and then I run their name, and it turns out that the person they told me they were has a warrant for their arrest. <laughs> oh, so that's great. That. Yeah, so <laughs> that's always interesting. But oh my gosh, and and the person that the real name person did they have a warrant as well? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Usually, so that's actually, I had one time the guy didn't, but yeah. So. Oh, that's funny. So, uh, okay, so take it to a traffic stop. and Because okay. uh, you talked about that in the article. I was really interested in that. Right. Yeah, one of the things I do when I would walk up to a car is, like you see in the, in the article, where it sounds kind of crazy, but I, and I learned this from someone. I was trying to remember who it was or where it was. And I think it was in a training video I'd seen a while back, but... Um, you know, I'd walk, I'd walk up and say something like, uh, um, do you have any drugs, guns, weapons, missiles, grenades, C4, or rocket launchers in the vehicle? And it sounds crazy, but the intent is to see their reaction. And usually with somebody that doesn't have anything to hide, they, they'll start, sometimes they'll laugh or they'll look at me like I'm crazy. But if someone has something to hide, generally they will just they'll get real serious about it. And no, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't have anything. Or they might say something like, I don't think so, or... Right. I don't, <laughs> I don't so, think I have a rocket launcher in my yeah, car. So, or, uh, yeah. Yeah, so when they start saying stuff like that, I don't think so, or not that I know of, or something like that, then it tells you there's more, more to, at least more to look into. So. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting, because this is probably just a, an automatic reaction, that they often glance toward where they're hiding something. Yes, I see that a lot. Um, if people would look, you ask them, and they look down, and a lot of times it's a glove compartment or it's in their center console, so they'll look at it, and then they look back and say no, and that tells you there's something in there, no matter what it, something they probably don't want you to find. So most likely, you know, what you've said, I did have, uh, and I've seen it time and time again, but like one case that comes to mind was a traffic stop I did at a gas station where I went up, I was by myself, three people in the vehicle, and uh, I'd ask him that question, and one of the, the guys, the driver, had looked over at the glove compartment. So I knew there was something in there, and uh, I ended up going back to getting his license and everything, going back to my car. I was waiting for my backup to get there, and uh, somebody else at the gas station came up to my car and said, I just want you to know, I, you know, I saw him pull a gun out of the glove compartment and hand it to the girl in the back. Mm-hmm. So I had to go. Once my backup got there, I told them the situation. We got him out, and sure enough, there there was that gun that I came from that glove compartment where that guy had looked at. So it's very, uh, it it works pretty well when you see them look at something in the car. So, mm-hmm. I think that's fascinating. I think that's a really good tip. And and um, I mean, I know this is police work that we're talking about, but right, it right. it applies to what private investigators do as well, yes. because even though. You know, we're not making traffic stops, obviously, but we are talking about talking to people about all kinds of sensitive information and maybe things that they'd want to hide, that we want to tune into, we want to look for. So I, I think this is is valuable. Just just the idea that a person would look toward what you're asking them about. Right. Yeah, I do. I have a, a belief that people tend to always give themselves away. So if you just. 
um, keep your eyes open and look for it. Uh, I know other people might disagree, but it's been my experience that when I see something, it, it generally, in 99% of the time, it works out that there is something that they're hiding. So. Yeah. So uh, you have a, an, an example of detective that you were working with somebody on a, I guess, on an interrogation that wasn't working very well. Uh, yeah, is that the, uh, in the article, is that the one we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, uh-huh. Okay, yeah, that's, um, and I'm seeing it time, time and time again. I'm sure a lot of other people have, even if you watch the shows, uh, some of the crime shows, the real ones, not the CSI stuff, but the, the real shows on TV, you see the kind of the brutal uh, investigate or interrogations that go on. But, um, yeah, in that particular case, we went, we had got some, we had got a tip from somebody else that this guy in jail had stolen a boat, and it was from a stole, stole from a dealership, and it was a smaller boat, but it was valued at about five thousand dollars. And um, we went over to the jail to talk to him, and the detective just kind of—I won't say he, he lit into him, but he was very upfront, very confrontational, and the guy just shut down. And uh, I'd just become a detective. I just all my training or all my experience had been on the street, but I knew that wasn't. I, I wouldn't have talked to the guy if he was talking to me like that. So I ended up going back on my own, and I sat down, and uh, I just started talking to the guy. And building that rapport, which I think is probably the most important important part of an interrogation, and the guy just, he eventually, we talked for probably close to an hour, just about a lot about him and his life and how he had started using uh, cocaine or crack and uh how he went downhill and his wife had left him and everything. And eventually he just opened up and told me, you know, what, what he had done and where they had ended up stripping the boat. But he told me where I could get some of it back and it worked out really well. And eventually the guy ended up a couple months later, he ended up calling me about a, somebody he knew was bragging about a, a bank robbery in Montana. So he was able to take that information and turn it over to the FBI. So I'm not sure what happened with it, but it's always good when you build that rapport because people, do trust you, they do come back, and you can get more information that way. Well, I think the key word that you said there is establishing rapport. I, I also, I mean, uh, I know you were sitting in on this interrogation, watching it, and I think it's interesting that it was making you angry, even though you weren't even being interrogated. But, yeah. but I watch uh, videos periodically on cases, and I'm just appalled at the techniques sometimes. Right. Me too. Me too. Um, you know, very. I mean, it take. It is a very. It's a skill and an art. Yes, that's a good way to, to put it. get somebody to talk to you, and that applies to whether you're a police officer or whether you're a private investigator, uh, and particularly when you're a private investigator, because people don't think they have to talk to you. Right. And police officers, they do. They think they have to talk to you when you're a police officer. <laughs> that, is uh, that true. badge, that color of the uh, badge, uh, makes a difference. But when you're in the private area, you know, people can just tell you to go to pound salt and forget it. Yeah. So, um, but I thought, so I, I thought that was really important that you said rapport. And then the other thing you did with this man is you listened. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's a big, a big deal when you talk to anybody. So right. People want to be listened to and they can tell when you're not listening. You know, if you're thinking about something else or you don't really want to be there, they can tell. Right. So. And it sounds also like you're treating him with respect. Oh, absolutely. That was a, a, a thing that I, I always said I would treat everybody in an, an interrogation room. I treat everybody with respect, whether they deserved it or not. 
say despite what they may have done or, or not done, I would I just put that behind me and and we would go in and we start talking. And my goal was always to I you know I sort of become friends with them, not literally, but mm-hmm. to get to that point where we could have a conversation like we were friends, and then he would you know, build trust so that person would trust me. So. And what happened to him, the guy that stole the boat? Um, he did eventually get out, but I don't know, you know, down the road, I don't know where he's at now. So yeah. it was, uh, he did stay in jail long enough to get off using the crack because he, he asked me, you know, can you make sure I stay in here because I can't get a hold of any drugs in here and stay in here for a few months, I'll be fine when I get out. So, yeah. But I'm not exactly sure what, what happened because he did have, he ended up with uh, probably 12 or 13 felony counts charges only for other stuff as well. So well, it was mostly all theft. That must have felt pretty good when he evidently had enough confidence in you to call you later. Yeah, yeah, it it, it did. Yeah. So nice. so when you so when you're a police officer, when you were a detective, you ended up doing a lot of interrogations. I did, and I, th- I think it was because I was a property crimes detective, and we had a very high rate of property crimes, uh, mostly residential break-ins, but it was not uncommon to do several interrogations a week. Um, I've even had, I think we've had arrests where we'll pick up four or five people at once, and uh, in our department, patrol picks somebody up, they'll bring them back, and then they'll call, uh, if it's after hours, they'll call a detective in or something, and we'll go in and, and talk to them, and I've just went room to room to room. So I got like, a lot of experience that way. Mm-hmm. And you and you kind of compare, which I, I think is a really good comparison, of uh, interrogations to martial arts. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know anything about martial arts. I just want to say that. <laughs> okay, but, what, but why do you but why do you compare them? Why do you think that's a, an adequate comparison? Um, well, a long time ago, I worked with a guy that he did martial arts, and he was talking about how you had to it had to come second nature. You know, you could just go in and do stuff, but if you actually got in a real fight, it would have to be second nature. You had to do this stuff without thinking about it. When you sit down in an interrogation room, if you're trying to trying to get the story. Um, you're, you're building rapport, getting the story, you've got to ask the right questions. You're trying to catch you know, all the uh, indicators when they're, they're lying. Um, you got to be able to put all that together at one, in one moment. So if you get a lot of experience doing that, it, it makes it a little bit easier and it starts coming. You pick up on stuff without even really realizing you're picking up. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes, becomes, really becomes second nature. Yes, yeah. So let's apply this to, um, you know, a lot of times a private investigator, um, have, they have to go knock on doors and, they, and often they have to be able to get good information. So how, what's your approach, Chris? Um, sorry, I kind of lost the call there for a second. Uh, you were oh. talking about getting good information? or Yeah, I'm talking about, I'm sorry, you you cut out for a minute, huh? Um, When we're private investigators, we often have to go out on the streets. Uh, We may end up talking to people on the street, particularly in a a high crime area where uh, people are standing around. We're looking for somebody. We might have to talk to them on the street or we might have to talk to somebody at their door. And we have to be able to get many times information quickly and accurately. So what's your approach for that? Uh, For one, it's still goes back to that rapport. I mean, you want to be really nice. If you go up to a door and somebody starts, you know, yelling at you, get off their property, don't yell back at them. You know, you <laughs> Good gotta, thought. Yeah. So, 
And and it, it happens, but um, yeah. you know, you really want to uh, you just let them know that you're not a threat to them. So, mm-hmm. And that's what I would I would suggest and, is still come do down to the floor and being nice. Um, just the the way you talk to people. So it's um, you know, if someone's being angry at you, obviously they can still say, you know, get off my property and they shut the door. But if you you know, walk up to somebody on the street and they're a little hesitant about talking to you, just keep talking to them mm-hmm. and, you know, be nice, be interested in them. People like to talk about themselves. So get them going to that point where they, they like you and they trust you and then they'll start to open up more. Okay. So, um, Chris, you're a, a white guy, correct? Yes. So, um, so you're in a, um, say you're in a, a neighborhood that is mostly either Latino or African-American, and you want to go out. You're trying to find a witness. And um, say you go up to an apartment building and there's, you know, like five guys standing in front of the gate. Yeah. What, what do you do with that? Well, I've had, you know, as, as a police officer, I worked in a predominantly black neighborhood, so I've been in those situations a lot. And the best thing to do is treat people with respect, especially, it depends on the depends on the neighborhood as well, if it's a upper class or lower class, whatever the situation is, um, treat people with respect. That's the number number one thing. And don't show, I've seen people go up and they're kind of nervous or they're scared and don't don't be like that. Walk up there and just, you know, you're there to do a job. You got to do your job. Go up and do it. Go up and start talking to people. Most likely, you know, depending on what they say, you don't want to, you don't want to turn around and take off running. They're not going to have any respect for you if you're afraid. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. And frankly, um, people that live in those neighborhoods are usually have very high antennas. They can identify <laughs> yeah. if you're the least bit nervous. Yes, absolutely. I mean, they you know they're they're smart people. They know what they're they're looking at. They know how to read other people. So, um, yeah, you just like I said, don't don't be afraid. Just go up there, and you got you got a job to do. So that's what you're there to do. So. And, uh, the big thing is always treat people with respect. That goes a long way. So was it a, a difficult transition, Chris, when you went from law enforcement to, to the private sector and, and how you approach people? Uh, yes. Yes, it is, I guess. I, it, it's a little bit different. I mean, that's something I'm still, still learning about. Um, I have people I've approached going to their houses, and they're, you know, they're really nice, and they they're, they're fine and I've had other people not long ago I went to somebody's house just trying to get a statement uh, the person wasn't home but the other person answered the door was really nice to me and then later that day I got a call of you know, from a girl screaming at me on the phone um, for going to her house and then the next day her friend called me screaming at me on the phone <laughs> I didn't even know who it was yeah. so, it just, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess okay. apparently they thought I was there doing something else like uh, surveillance or something like that, which didn't make like any that. sense to me. But um, they were pretty upset about it and yelling at me, and I had to keep telling. I don't even. I'm not even sure who you are. So yeah. But, All right. We need to take a break real quick, okay. Chris. We have so much more to talk about. Be back in a couple of minutes. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. 
VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. New private investigator Christopher Borbis talking about getting information on the fly or trying to get as much information as possible when you get in yourselves, yourself in a situation where you have to get it quickly. And um, Chris, you were just talking about somebody calling you upset, misinterpreting something you were doing. Right. And, and I guess I'm, I'm thinking that the important thing when somebody calls you like that upset because that happens you go to somebody's house you leave a you leave a business card and they know what the ca- maybe they know what the case is about and they call you and they're really angry yeah so what's what's the best thing to do in that kind of a situation well don't get upset don't don't yell back at him or anything i just try to talk to him and explain the situation without giving out too much information on uh, my client or, or what exactly was going on. But, um, yeah, it was a different situation for me because they had, like I said, they were, she was telling me to stay away from her husband, stay away from her kids, and I had no idea who this girl was. So it was oh. just somebody associated with the first person I was trying to talk to. So yeah. it was a little different. And I used to get those calls uh, pretty much every day when I was a, a detective. So not not somebody accusing me of doing surveillance on their, their kids or anything, but... Um, or everything else, I got yelled at all the time. So I definitely would not lose your temper. You know, I just learned over time just to let people vent, and then yeah, you know, try to talk them down, try to get them to calm down. It's a good way to practice building rapport too. If you can get somebody that's screaming and yelling at you to calm down and you know apologize, and that's great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not uh, it's it's easily it's easy to get baited when somebody's angry, right? And, and react the same way, right? And that doesn't help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Usually escalates it 
the situation, doesn't it? Absolutely. It could, could it turn into something worse, so don't want that. So but, um, tell us some of your other experiences, because I think they're all applicable to what private investigators do. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some of... Uh, one one that comes to mind is is it learning learning from my mistakes is which I think is a great way to learn but um, sometimes it's not the best situation but I did have one case where I was interviewing a guy and uh, we had sat down and we had worked on building rapport for quite some time over an hour we sat there and talked the guy had served in the military or he was a national guard and I'm a veteran so we had that to talk about and we just everything worked out great and he was on the verge of he started to confess. He started to tell me stuff, and then I made a mistake. And this is—I've seen it before. People will say, you know, they'll give false false evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, say we got your fingerprints. I know, I know, they've seen it before in interrogations where in some of the wrongfully convicted cases. But um, right. this particular guy, I, and I, I knew I shouldn't have done it, but I said, "Hey, look, I see your buddy. You know, your buddy who's in the next interrogation room told me that you." Um, you were the one that went into the house and he stayed outside and the guy just, at that point, the guy just shut down and what had happened was they were trying to break into the house but they never actually got in and at that point, I didn't know that. Mm. So when he, that just ruined my credibility. So he didn't, we were done at that point. He wouldn't talk to me anymore. So I went from being, just we were just hitting it off, talking, everything was great and I just destroyed the, the interview. So I made, I made sure I never did that again. But um, yeah, I would say never, Never to present anybody with false evidence. Never say that somebody saw you over here or, you mm-hmm. know, your own video or something like that. If it didn't actually happen, and you probably shouldn't give out, as, try to keep the information, limit the information you give out. But, uh, you know, you could say uh, you were, you know, is there any, if we check this video, is there any reason that you'll be on that video or something like that? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, one, one thing that... Uh, seems to be important is that it's okay for I don't know whether I probably everybody knows this it's okay for a police officer to lie right it's been upheld in the courts over and over that right. a police officer can lie to anybody to get information to solve a case and right that, but that isn't tr- we kind of get in trouble for lying yes um <laughs> Even as a police officer, I really limited what I said. I didn't, you know, that was a mistake I made right there. But as far as lying about evidence, I don't agree with it. Um, and the only time I would lie was when I would sit down with these people and I was trying to build rapport and I might start talking about something that I really had no interest in just to get to that point of rapport or say something I did. I would try uh-huh. to, uh, one technique I would use to build rapport to make it, the situation seemed as not as bad as it was. I might say, "Oh, it's all right." You know, I I did stupid stuff when I was a kid, and I, you know, I remember when I was sixteen and I broke into my neighbor's house, which I never did. I would like to say, but mm-hmm. um, I would say stuff like that, try to get them to calm down and say, "Okay, it's not that bad. Let's talk." But um, yeah, there's well, that's that's a a good ter- interrogation te- technique is to minimize whatever the crime is, right? Right. Right. Yes. Absolutely. Um, can be hard to do depending on what they've done, but absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't work too well with murder, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that wouldn't <laughs> that wouldn't go over too well. <laughs> unless it's unless it's uh, self defense or something like that, I guess. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so what are the situations? Um, let me see. I'm trying to think of, you know, what could really be applied to the, you know, being a private investigator, but um, I did have, you know, reading body language and stuff. I, what I don't rely too much on reading people's body languages except for when I did traffic stops before, but mm-hmm. I rely on what they say, and I, I don't think body language is a, a real, you know, somebody's looking away or they're, they're twitching or they're crossing their legs or whatever the deal is. I don't think, you know, people do that all the time when they're not in the interrogation room, so I don't rely on that a whole lot. I do with uh, traffic stops I did, and like, uh, really listening to what people say. I did a, a uh, actually it was, a, it was an accident scene that I went up on and uh, the person had, I got there, it was two girls in a car and they had, you could smell the odor of marijuana coming from the vehicle so I knew it was there but I decided to use it kind of as a training or learning experience for me and I, I just started talking to the driver and I said, do you have, you know, I can smell marijuana, do you have any marijuana in the car? And she looked at me and said, I don't have any marijuana in the car so, but, <laughs> That <laughs> told me that her her friend did, the passenger did. So yeah. I I went over to her passenger and got the passenger out of the car and I asked the same question. You know, do you have any marijuana in the car? And she I mean, she, I remember she looked at the car and she looked back at me and she was almost excited about it. No, no, I don't have any marijuana in the car. Like because <laughs> she wasn't she didn't have to lie to me then. But um, I ended up asking her if she had any marijuana on her and she said I don't have any marijuana in my pockets. So they were right. pinpoint that she had it in her purse, which she had on her, and go that route. So it was just really about hearing what people were saying, and I think that can be applied to just about anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. If the answer is I don't have any marijuana in my purse, right, right. <laughs> that would indicate there is something someplace else. Right, and and I've seen, uh, you know, I've seen people, I've seen investigators, I've seen police officers, even just go, okay, you know, they take them for, they, they're not really, they hear it, but they're not really listening to what the person said. So and they just go, okay, they don't have any, and they'll walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really got to listen to what people are saying and, and rely, and that's that's a kind of where body language comes in and the tone of their voice, but as far as detecting deception, I don't rely on the body language, but... Well, you know, have you ever heard of the concept of getting a baseline when you're when you're beginning an interview, talking to people about uh, something they're comfortable and have no reason to lie about, and getting kind of their baseline uh, body language, and then when you get into the area that you want to make sh- want to know whether they're telling the truth or not, uh, evaluating that language to what you saw at the beginning. Yes, uh, I've heard of that, and I've I've done it a few times. I wouldn't say. Um, great at it or anything it's it, it, I think it's a great technique but mine is I've always relied on you know spending that first hour or so building rapport you know sometimes I won't say hour but as long as it takes and then going from there uh, but I do think that baseline does work so. but it, it may be that it, you are operating with it anyway because uh, yeah. <laughs> you know you're you're uh you're spending some time getting acquainted, establishing rapport, so you so you know what's going on with them um, before you're asking them the tough questions. Right. Um, I, yeah, I think you know now that you say that, and I think back on it, I'm sure that that does come into play a lot. Um, yeah. And and the other thing that may happen is that even though say maybe somebody crosses their legs or looks away or 
does weird things with their with their body uh, all the time. But um, it may be if you're watching them while you're talking to them, um, they they start making different kinds of movements when you get into the difficult areas. Yes. And they were sitting there perfectly calm before. Yes. I actually that's that, that is a good point. That's a good way to look at. It. I had one not too long ago where I was interviewing uh, an individual and she had ended up stealing some some money from her employer and uh, when I got to started questioning her about it you could just see the look you know her the blood drain from her face and tears started coming into her eyes you know and so it was mm-hmm. and at first she denied it but eventually came clean but that's that's um, a very good point. So you start to see that the, the body language change when you get to that point, when you get to that mm-hmm. questioning. Yeah, it's it's probably not the kind of body language for say, like people's, you've, we've all heard this, if you look to the left, you're thinking one thing, <laughs> yeah. if you look to the right, you know, all that. Right, no, right. There's no scientific basis for it. But I think uh, maybe the fact that they're moving differently yes. uh, yeah. or doing something different than they were p- before would be significant. Right, right. Yeah, that's a, a very good point. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure now you say that, I'm sure I do use it a lot more than what I realize. I just always have tend to focus on what people are, are saying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of my favorites is you know, the indicators or um, qualifiers. I'm sure you've probably had a lot of experience with that, but people say Yeah, explain nothing. what that is. Explain what uh, that is, Chris. Somebody coming out, you know, when you ask them a question, they say something like, basically, or um, really, you know, I really didn't know. Well, at that point, what did you know? Because an honest person, if they didn't know anything, they're mm-hmm. going to say, I didn't know. I uh, know. So there's, there's something else there. It might not be that they, they're, they're lying, but they know more than what they're saying. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot, of, a lot of what I saw was, uh, somebody say like honestly or okay I'll tell you the truth I mean those right. are those are both qualifiers that, I swear to stack of Bibles <laughs> yes yeah invoking religion I've seen that a lot right. too yeah so I had a guy I pulled over once he was a uh, he said he was a preacher and um, it was two o'clock in the morning he's at a gas station with a, a girl that was known for you know walking the streets and he was just, I started questioning him, and he was, I, I can't believe you'd say that about me. I'm a preacher. and He had drug paraphernalia in his car and everything, but that's something yeah. that I would see a lot. I go to church every Sunday. I, I wouldn't do something like that. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> or, or why would I do that? <laughs> right, right, yeah. And I've had uh, people say, I would never steal anything. I got, a, I, got a good, I got a good job. Why would I steal something? That's a question right. I've heard a lot, too. Or I have money. Why would I steal something? Yeah. Yeah. And I always remind a millionaire steal all the time, so you can't use that as an excuse. But that's that's another example. Well, and I think um, Chris, in your article, you had some really good points. You, um, and you know what? And we have to take a break. I'm, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting notified that we need to take a break. Okay, so, no problem. Uh, we'll be right back. <laughs> The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to PIs Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to F R A N C I E at PIsDeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Today's program features Virginia private investigator Chris Borba, who is discussing what he learned in the field about getting information when you're not in the best of circumstances. So, uh, Chris, um, you have some uh, pointers in your um, in your article about how you think people should be treated. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, of course, a lot of it goes back to that you know building rapport and treating people with respect. One thing I see a lot, and I wanted to mention earlier, and I didn't, but people will go in. They know officers or investigators. They know they need to build that rapport, but they go in and they do it for maybe five minutes and they move on. It's going to take all the time you need. You, know, you don't. If it takes if it takes thirty minutes, if it takes an hour, if it takes longer. You got to get to that point where you feel comfortable talking to the other person, and you can see they kind of lower their guard, and they'll start opening up and warming up to you. And a lot of that is also empathy, which is one of the things I mentioned. There's not to be confused with sympathy, which I think a lot of people do confuse that. But as we really know, it's, it's, all, it's putting yourself in their position mm-hmm. and how you would feel at that point. Right. So, and uh, you know, people, people see that, and you, there's a kind of a connection there when you do that. So, so um, you know, one thing that comes up often in this business, and particularly in the criminal defense world, and I know this applies as well to psychologists, how do you treat somebody that um, is suspected of child molestation with respect and empathy? Yeah, that's, uh, that's really tough, I think, for, for a lot of police officers and uh, any investigators if you get into that situation on a, um you just have to put it behind you. You know, one one thing to do is to uh, it's it's really it's a challenge. I mean, there's no easy way about it. But you have to you have to put it behind you, and you have to 
you know, you, you know before you go in, you're upset about it, you kind of put it behind you, and then when you leave, you can you can vent about it after that, but you don't, mm-hmm. you know, during that time frame. Because people, people do bad things. I've always, I, I say that there's um, bad people and then there's good people that do bad things. And I think most people are good people that do bad things, most of the criminals I've seen. And um, people don't want to be judged. And if mm-hmm. you go in there and you start talking down to them and judging them, they're mm-hmm. not, they're going to, who wants to be judged? Who wants to tell, talk about something embarrassing that they've done? Right. So, but you really got to put that behind you, and you know, just just for that that time period, just for that interview, you got to, you know, try to think about something else if you have to, or whatever. You're gonna have to find because that that is a challenge, a big challenge. Well, and another example of that would be say um, you're an African American investigator, and you have to interview somebody that's uh, uh, Aryan Brotherhood. Yeah, yeah, that would be that, that would be, be a tough. big challenge. Right, right. You never. That would be tough. Yeah, yeah, and that, it's probably not the best uh, situation. You might want to find another investigator, but um, and that you know, that could go either way. But um, yeah, that person probably would not want to open up as much. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I mean, there's all those challenges, and and as I'm, what I see, at least since I've been doing this work. Um, the different, you know, there's there's more cultural challenges because more people are coming into this country, um, so you have a variety of cultures that you're dealing with. Some of them you don't even know, you know, know what it's like. Maybe it's very a male dominated culture. Maybe it's a female dominated culture. Uh, they have their own uh, uh, individual home situations. So you never really never know what you're going to get into. Right. That's that's true. You never. Never know what uh, you're gonna, yeah, you're gonna see or what kind of situation you're gonna be in. So you have to be able to adapt pretty quickly, be able to read the situation and adapt. And and I guess one thing uh, regarding culture. Now that I happen to bring that up, one thing about culture is I found that if I'm not sure what the what their culture requires, for instance, taking off your shoes at the door, a sign ah, of respect. Yeah. Right. If if you're not sure, just ask. Right, right. That's a good point. Because that really, that's a show of respect as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, even even if it's a, not a culture thing, sometimes people don't want you bringing your shoes into the house. So. <laughs> and on their white carpets. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, so so you said um, tap into your empathy, and even if you you do, if you don't have any empathy for this person. Right. Um. You know, again, that's that's another tough decision, but you still got to put yourself in their in their shoes. And you know, how would you feel sitting in uh, either an interrogation room or standing in in somebody's living room, being questioned about that? Mm-hmm. And that's also another way to uh, uh, and, and to look at if somebody's telling the truth or not. You always, how would you act in that situation? But right, and treat people how you want to be treated. Absolutely, uh, that that kind of goes down to the respect that we we talked about before. But um, yeah, if somebody comes over, you know, yelling at you because they want something, I can't remember what's that uh, that saying: "You catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar." Right. I think right. it's something like that. Yeah. So if somebody's, I mean, you're sitting down talking to somebody, you want to get information from them. You got to be nice to them because mm-hmm. there's not. Uh, I mean, if you're going to yell at them, they're probably yeah. not going to give you what you want and that's 
what you're there. I mean, so it's kind of like a sales meeting, but uh, you really got to treat people like you want to be treated. So. Yeah, that's a really good point, particularly in the private sector. That, a lot of times that is exactly what we do is sales. Right. Mar- right. Marketing and sales. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I'm finding that out. <laughs> yeah, we want, we, you know, we want people to like us. Well, we want people to like us anyway, but <laughs> but uh, uh, we want people to like us. We want to, we want people to just sit down and talk to us and tell us everything they know <laughs> about right. whatever we're asking about. Right, exactly, and it's uh, yeah, it's a good way to look at it. If you're if the investigator has experience in sales, you know that's that's one way to kind of bring that over into your interview or interrogation process that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, uh, and I've had people, um, you know, we're talking about whether a private investigator can lie. I've had people tell me that uh, if, for instance, if if the person said, do I have to go to court? And they tell them no. And that's lying to them because we as private investigators are never going to know if this person is going to have to go to court. Right. It's not in our control. Right. So the best answer is to say, I don't know. But there are some investigators out there that think that if uh, they tell the person, no, they don't have to go to court, they'll get more information. Mm, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. And when that's a huge minefield. Right. Um, I, yeah, I that, definitely wouldn't recommend that. Yeah. yeah me too. I definitely <laughs> wouldn't recommend that because you just don't know. And, the, and I, that's, what, that's what I always say anyway. I have no idea. It's not yeah, something I have control over. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, that's definitely the best thing to do is just say you don't know. You don't want to end up in a little bit of trouble down the road or have those people mad at you. So. Yeah. I and it'll come back to haunt you. It'll come back to haunt you. Right. So, investigators out there, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so what else would you like to share? Chris, you're, you're a new investigator. I love talking to you. Um, I think you have a very bright future ahead of you. Um, what would you like to specialize in? Uh, workplace and corporate investigations, that, that type of work. So that's really what I've been pushing for. Um, I think I can bring bring a lot of my experience over into that field. So. Okay. And do you have a, a plan for how you're going to attack that? Is you have training classes you're going to go to or are uh, specific areas you're going to address? Uh, I have. I've been uh, doing some training classes. I did a uh, internal investigations course, and I've done uh, some. I'm in uh, class right now on uh, background and uh, social media investigations. It's really good. So, oh, interesting. Yeah, that's huge and changing daily. Right, actually. right. I think it's. Yeah. I'm hoping that uh, at least I think it's going to be you know just continue to grow and be bigger, and it's going to be a, a big field for private investigators. Have you thought about joining as is the uh, American the security? Uh, yes. Association, the big um, security association. Yeah, I'm not a member yet, but I I plan to. I just I haven't uh, signed. I've been on the website and stuff several times, so I gotta just sign up. So. And and have you gotten involved in any uh, other trade associations yet? Uh, the Virginia uh, Association of uh, Licensed Private Investigators, and I haven't. Although all their meetings are out in Northern Virginia, I haven't made the trek over there yet. It's about a three yeah. and a half hour drive, but. Um, I'm also a member of uh, SCIP, uh, Strategic and Competitive Intelligence Professionals. Oh, okay. I don't know that, about that one. Uh, okay. It's, yeah, it's mostly competitive intelligence, but for businesses, it's a little bit different than what um, 
I initially want to go in go in the direction uh-huh. I want to go to, but uh-huh. it's interesting. I took some courses through them as well, so it's pretty good, pretty good organization. Well, I always tell people that um, they really need to get involved in trade associations. They provide excellent training, uh, peer networking. Uh, it's a great place to to learn from your peers for sure. Right. Uh, you know, obviously your state association, and then I, I believe in belonging to, I think you and I talked off air about the National Council of Investigation Security Services, who monitors national legislation on behalf of private investigators and security professionals. Right. Um, I highly recommend. And then, there's, of course, there's international associ- trade associations. <laughs> uh, there's places like uh, National Association of Legal Investigators for people that specialize in criminal defense or um, um, civil um, cases. So, um, you know, it really is important to get as much involvement as you can with the time amount of time you have and of course it's a little costly too because uh, there are, are all membership fees but the benefits are well worth it right yeah I know uh, ASIS they seem to have a lot of a lot of good training there so I'm definitely interested in that but yeah and, and you can get a certification through ASIS too ASIS. right right I saw that that would be good yeah Very yeah good. that would be great well I'm excited about your career Chris me too, <laughs> <laughs> me too so it's definitely different so yeah it's definitely different and uh uh the community you live in how large is that uh it's about uh the city has about ninety thousand people i'm not sure about the whole entire uh metropolitan area but it's not not real big but it's not small either so okay so there's a lot of opportunities um how are you going to plan on marketing your your services i've been going through referrals, but I am now in the process of reevaluating that and trying to get out there a little bit more. And part of what I done was what I have done is write articles for Pursuit Magazine. Um, mm-hmm. Got a few in there, and I've been trying to work on some other stuff for some local pub- publications, uh, as well as I joined the Roanoke Regional Chamber of Commerce, which has been a great play, a great way to meet different people. And I signed up as an ambassador. So I do uh, go out and meet with other businesses about the chamber, but again, it's a great way for me to meet people and get the name of my business business out there. So what kind of reaction do you have when people find out you're a private investigator? <laughs> you probably already know. <laughs> <laughs> what, like do <laughs> yeah. what do they ask you? What do they ask you? Um, usually, yeah, I, I get I get a lot of the like Magnum PIs, and I get a lot of like, oh, you you follow around cheating spouses. Right. Those are the, the two things I always hear. So I try to try to cut them off and say, no, I you know I cater to to businesses in the area. So, but sometimes they still don't. It doesn't register with them. They're like, oh, okay, so you follow around cheating spouses. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't nothing wrong with that, but that's just not what I do. So, well, just for the listeners out there. The percentage of, of people who follow cheating spouses are a very small percentage, but that is the tag we always get. Uh, right. The tag we always get. <laughs> it's too funny. It's always uh, interesting and, to see what people say. So. And then, do you do you get asked if you if you carry a weapon? Uh, I do not. I haven't had anybody ask me that yet. I'm surprised, yeah. but I don't carry one anyways. But yeah, um, yeah, I'm I'm really surprised no one's asked me that. But. Yeah. I get asked that a lot. Uh, I I always say, uh, a friend of mine, Cynthia Hamilton from Oregon, she's a 
investigator there, she always says, uh, only if it matches my shoes. So that's my, <laughs> I used her tagline. <laughs> <laughs> so we're at the end of our hour, Chris. Thank you so much for your insight, for joining the show, for, for joining the private investigator community. And uh, appreciate you being on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and thanks uh, to also to our loyal sponsor, PI Magazine. And if you're interested in advertising on PIs Declassified, you can contact my wonderful producer, Sondra Rogers, at sondra.rogers, R-O-G-E-R-S, at voiceamerica.com. And tune in next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators like Chris. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 